0: The most challenging companies are the ones that could secure like an enterprise at the beginning and then it's like the worst thing in the world because they think that they are mature enough to sell to enterprises and then they just getting stuck because this one enterprise is, you know, suffocating them. They don't have the robustness of the lower side of the market to learn. So the maybe the one thing I would say is don't start like up there, go down and learn.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can learn from it. In this episode, I sit down with Bar Giron, CEO and co founder of Balance, a B2B e commerce payments company offering an online checkout experience built for businesses launched just two years ago in February 2021. Balance now supports hundreds of B2B merchants and marketplaces and has partnered with large platforms like Shopify, Salesforce, Magento, and BigCommerce. They raised almost $90 million from Forerunner, Ribbit, Lightspeed, Salesforce, and many more. In this episode, we discuss learnings from his days at PayPal, and why some of the best payments companies and fintech founders have a strong background in fraud management, how Balance aims to transform the trade finance space for U.S. and Canadian businesses, the future of B2B marketplaces and what the industry has learned from the B2C world, founder advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, and just a lot more. Hope you enjoyed this great conversation with Bar from Balance. All right. Well, Bar, welcome to the FinTech Leaders podcast after a few minutes of uh, technical malfunctions. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, technology isn't everything yet. How's it going, Bar?
0: It's going well. I'm happy to be here. How's it going?
1: Good. I'm, I'm very excited to, to be hosting you. Uh, I have heard about you and about balance for quite a while. So I, I think there's a there's a lot for us to talk about. Let's let's first start hearing a little bit about your experience. And especially you know, you spent some some meaningful years at, at PayPal, and that seems to be a, a machine for uh delivering amazing entrepreneurs. Uh, And then you actually, this is not your first company. You started another company in the past. So maybe tell us about those experiences and how they led you to Balance.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, PayPal Israel was a very, very special place. Actually, it's an interesting origin story. So PayPal Israel is essentially Fraud Sciences, uh, a startup that was uh, acquired by PayPal. Um, I think it was twenty. 14? Maybe I'm wrong. But what was amazing about this startup is that he, with time, we learned that he created a golden standard of fraud prevention today online. Literally every company in the world today that does fraud is connected to it in some way. Like we can talk about it more, but it's just unbelievable that uh, that this company that, again, I don't remember the exact amount. I think it was 60 million got purchased by PayPal and created really um the golden standard.
1: What was the name of that startup?
0: Fraud Sciences. So um Riskified, Folter, um, and other companies as well, Frogsters, um, uh, Frogster in um uh, in uh, in Europe and others as well, and really just develop uh, the first real IP on how to on how to identify uh, fraudsters. Again, I'm not an expert, but, uh, the technology was, uh, based on, uh, like the people that developed uh, this technology was from a very uh, prestige unit in the army. A lot of the IP was based on inspirations from that time. And this is part of the culture, um, in Israel, right? When you grew up in the army, some in the intelligence, some in, uh, you know, combat environment, you're getting out in 21 a bit different than what you would have, uh, be as a person without it. And PayPal, what what was special about PayPal is that the people you work with were not a trivial bunch of people. So, you know, in my team, I remember people, you know, coming from, you know, studying uh, theater or like uh, history, like, you know, the things that uh, similar to what we know from like the classic McKinsey days, when uh, they just uh, find uh, people with strong analytical skills, but uh, the training or the education itself was less important. Uh, the test itself or the recruiting process of how you get in was very interesting. There's uh, there's a lot of stories of the different uh, tests that PayPal used to do. But to make a long story short, yeah, PayPal was a very, very special place uh, in Israel. And I got to know a lot of amazing people. One of them is my co-founder, Yoni. We're best friends from that time, eight years ago. We built our first company together and now Balance. Um, The first company was based on a personal pain of mine. Uh, My father had cancer, uh, took a lot of time to see an oncologist, and we found that the appointments um, that already scheduled around quarter of them are people that are not Coming to the appointments at the end, what what is known as no shows. So we wanted to build a technology that enables us to eliminate that deficiency after different attempts to tackle it. We decided to go with uh, a data AI platform that we just build models to predict who will become no show. And also what should be the optimal appointment length? So, you know, the problem with, uh, with appointments in general is that everyone are getting the same. 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and it's far from it. And it creates a lot of deficiency in the appointment scheduling system. And so we did that. We had those two models. It was fascinating. We worked with big HMOs in Israel, some UK, some US, bootstrapped. And at the end, we delivered that technology to one of the biggest HMOs we worked with and decided to build balance from a place of let's build something huge. And not as hard as selling to, you know, healthcare providers, which is, you know, it was, it was nice. We are happy for the impact. Um, but it was, uh, it was extremely hard and slow. So we wanted to leverage everything that we know, which is fintech and try and build something that is not an incremental step, um, in fintech, but something that will change, uh, really the way the economy works, which we try to think of what is the most inspiring thing we can do. Really coming to the world from that angle was really eye-opening. So uh, ideation is, uh, is just an interesting process. There's so many ways to tackle it. There's no thumb rules. Uh, generally in startups, there's no thumb rules.
1: So, and- so Bart, let, let me ask you something, and sorry to interrupt. So for balance, how how did you identify that problem right how did you identify the the problem there was actually a need to build this specific product Um, because you know when you're at ground zero you can take it in any different direction
0: exactly this is exactly what i'm about to say on the discovery phase so ideation discovery is something you can tackle from so many different angles Yes, we had a good intuition about balance because of our um, experience uh, working in, in the intersection of e-commerce and payments. But actually, the way we tackle it is not really by, it, it wasn't like full on, yeah, we experienced the problem and then we come up with a solution to solve it. It wasn't like that classic. It was more, as I mentioned before, which is what is the most inspiring thing we can do in fintech? that we have the tools to be the best team in the world to do, but it can really change something. And at the beginning, it wasn't the way we we try to tackle the ideation phase. It was like, let's see what exists out there. Let's see how we can manipulate it into something that works because we know there's a product market fit, but give it some edge. And balance wasn't that. Balance was completely a step function um, to what exists. So we said, we sat down, we did, we had a lot of conversations, you know, iterating for months. And then we were like, let's, let's assume that a B2B checkout experience can be a thing in the world. How does that world look like? Uh, what does that mean to do a self serve payment in, if you're a business? What do we need to have in place for this to be a successful business? And then we just got obsessed with it. We just got inspired from thinking about it more and more and more. And not from a place necessarily of like a revenue generated business, but from a place of what that can do to the world. Because there's a fundamental argument to be said that if you create value for the world, the world will pay you back, Uh, right? Even if you don't get like, think open AI in a sense. Like even if you don't get like the fundamentals of your business in terms of like revenue, if you understand the value, revenue will come. I think that was a lot of the approach when you think about balance and the impact that we saw is that if we can enable customers to just pay without even getting to know the vendor, which is the merchant, the ones having the website, we can open up the gates for the economy to be efficient and work as B2C, right? You know, yourself, you go to Amazon, the New York experience is unbelievable. You get everything you want in the same day. Payment is not even something that you think about. It's so easy. It's ridiculous. Maybe too easy. some will would say, you know, in B2B, you need to know your merchant and he needs to give you what you need because the finance team is paying in a very specific way. This friction is what's holding trade to move online.
1: Yeah, and, and, and trade has been around for many centuries, I guess since pre-Venetian times, but especially there, right? Uh, so let, let's let's talk a little bit about that. But fundamentally, do you see yourself as a payments company or, or as a credit company or, or, or none of those?
0: You know, there's two lingos in my world does the lingo of the customers and the lingo of the investors so it depends on you know for example b2b payments it's a concept that investors created it's not a thing in the world like there's no a b2b payment is an invoice an invoice is not a payment it's a piece of paper that you can send through electronical channels but you know so there's It depends on who I'm talking to and who do you want to be in this conversation. The question about credit or payment, it's a question of investors. Like, what are your multipliers really? That's the, that's the underlying question. (laughs) Uh, The question of the customer is how do I move my orders online? A credit and a payment is, it's maybe a technology tools underneath to enable it. And this is how we approach the world. Like we want to move trade online. How do you do it? So with time, the company is like assess a payment and a credit, um, but it solves the same thing. It's the same problem, it's the same use case. The world doesn't care if it's a payment or credit because no one is coming to balance for, to get a loan. No one is coming for balance to move money or to have the ability to do um, milestone-based payment or credit notes. They are coming to take an offline payment and see if they can digitize it. Or they're coming to the world and see, if I'm building this B2B e-commerce experience, would I be able to grow my business without getting stuck with like this friction of AR? Can I grow like a B2C business? This is the question they are asking, and the answer that Balance is giving on the payment side is
1: yes. So your customers are U.S. based, but they're they're buying and selling from around the world. Is that right?
0: Yes. Um, the credit element is currently focused on Canada and the U.S.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense. And 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 so with this. With all the chatter that we've been hearing for, even pre-COVID, but especially since COVID, about you know globalization being uh, kind of decelerating and maybe nearshoring being uh, one of the biggest tra- trends that we hear about, is is this being reflected in your activity, in your customer flows? And what are you expecting for twenty twenty three?
0: yeah I think um we are lucky in a sense uh to be in an environment that is not like if you're selling dev tools today it's it's kind of hard if you're a saAS company it's it's hard to sell to startups today. they just don't have any money. but if you're you know selling to a steel manufacturer, you know chairs are still being created. you still need commodities to move around the world to support the economy and so i think in in an interesting way i feel that the 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 problems of of the world today that uh, influence balance the most are the problems that drive balance forward which is supply chain challenges and the reason why it's so interesting is because if you're a buyer and you get stuck buying from your current supplier because he has just he just have logistics problems he's from the ukraine he's from china he's from whatever he needs alternatives and this is where b2b e-commerce comes into play because the future would be a place when this business buyer of steel chemicals lumber textile you name it can just go online and find new suppliers it sounds trivial what I just said in like, in the consumers, like, yeah, this is what we do every day. But it doesn't exist for the entire economy. It just doesn't exist. So I think that uh, if I'm looking at 2023, I think it's the year that B2B e-commerce will be just everywhere. Because the problems are there. And there's a maturation to the market that wasn't existing before. And COVID was one of those. Early pushers
1: of it, yeah, and and so you you not only have you raised equity, but you you have secured meaningful credit lines. Um, I believe the latest one was three hundred and fifty million. So you you are actually pushing for growth in a year where not everyone is right, and and especially on the credit side, this is the year where a lot of lenders, both incumbents and fintechs, they're actually you know pausing a little bit, uh, but you're saying that's an opportunity. That's where I actually can maybe take some market share. Is that kind of your thinking?
0: Um, yes, but also balance is different in that sense. It's different in the sense that no one is coming to balance to get a loan, which is very different from like a classic relationship with a credit provider. Balance is providing credit sometimes as part of the payment flow. You know, our buyers that are taking credit from us, I think today it's like, it's like blue chip companies. We also have SMBs, but, you know, Amazon will never come to balance to get like a a credit line, right? But my merchant is selling them in, you know, they need to get net 30. So it's you know it's part of the mechanism of doing business in the world. It's not it's not the same. Um, Hi, my business is in challenges of uh, getting cash. I heard balances an alternative uh, finance provider. if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, it does. And, and you mentioned uh, you you kind of contrasted the example of a consumer marketplace. Maybe you know the, taking New York as the example where. It's just way too easy to buy and pay something from, from a marketplace, call it Amazon or anything else. Um, what have you learned from B2C marketplaces that is now being adapted in B2B ones? And also, what's, what's different?
0: Yeah, uh, it's a very good question. B2B marketplaces is where we specialize in the most. We grew up as a company, you know, in YC and you know we wanted to build this b2b checkout thing we didn't really know who is the first like you know early adopters how do you start this thing because selling to steel manufacturers when you're very tiny and small it's not an easy go-to market you can you can imagine so the first customer we learned to get to know is b2b marketplace just that were with us in YC and they were like, no one is serving those, no one, like Stripe is serving them with the Stripe Connect platform, but it's not B2B. It's very, very B2C in a lot of different ways. So we were like, okay, like, let's, let's see if we can do something with them. Little that we know that first of all, we're building something very, very heavy. It took us a long time, like serving marketplaces in terms of payments, it's uh, a very, very complicated thing. Again, not to get to the nitty-gritty, uh, it's not really interesting for everyone here in this podcast, but the notion of co- disconnecting a marketplace from a flow of funds, but giving him all the joysticks to control payments from one entity to the other, thats a, that's a different Level of shit show, right? It's like, it's very, very hard. Stripe did it amazingly well with Stripe Connect. This is their main success. But balance was just, you know, going with the flow like a startup. It's not like everything is calculated. And then we found out that, okay, we're serving those marketplaces. We're doing it the best and the only one doing like a Stripe Connect approach to B2B marketplace. And then we just got exploded with B2B marketplaces. So we got to know a lot. I think we have like 40 different industries today. We're just entrepreneurs, you know, venture-backed tech dues, so like different from the manufacturers of steel or lumber. And, you know, we just went with it. It looked like um, the early adopters, if you like, like the ones before the chasm. And we are learning so much about the challenges and, And the complexities of that business from one side, the innovation that they are creating is unbelievable because they are coming to like an old industry and just offering amazing SaaS capabilities, finding new buyers, doing procurement, you know, managing all those like everything that is like, no one gave a shit about, you know, a chemical industry. Like, they are doing business with their vendor. Vendors know their 15 buyers that they are doing business with. And that's it. And all of a sudden, somebody is building, like one of our customers, ChemDirect, building a, a marketplace for chemicals. Anyone can buy chemicals from any vendor, like, just in a, you know, all of a sudden, like, it's a thing, which is crazy. Like, inquiring new buyers online, Um, very B2C all of a sudden. So, from one side, unbelievable. Um, and game changing. It's not the incremental 5% you're doing in B2C. Right? It's it's like, whoa, you can buy chemicals online from vendors you don't know. Again, in a lot of your industries.
1: And, and yeah, and what have you learned about selling to some of the big, big ones? Because you you've um you, you say you started with the YC ones, and, and that's a very different. Conversation maybe over beers, uh, but with you know names that I, I see you have Shopify, Salesforce as partners, Magento, and recently Big Commerce. What have you learned about actually landing this as partners, as clients? Because a lot of the listeners, you know, they 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 have companies themselves, you know, and then uh, they're trying also to to crack into this customer base. W- what is important when talking to them?
0: The most important thing is to do something that has a need for. Um, you need, you know, the, the the sad thing about startups is there's no like magic formula. The 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 first principles of 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 any business create something that is valuable. Someone is in the need for in the right time. Um for balance, the thing that makes balance successful was it was the right business at the right time. B2B um e-commerce and the need for a, a, a self-serve B2B experience was balance was the first mover and it's it clicked. So there's a lot of luck associated with it as well. And just good execution in terms of you know experience the way to move up is with small in small steps um uh, unfortunately the, the you know you're you're an investor you know it better than me but the most challenging companies are the ones that could secure like an enterprise at the beginning and then it's like the worst thing in the world because they think that they are mature enough to sell to enterprises and then they're just getting stuck because this one enterprise is you know suffocating them they don't have the robustness of the lower side of the market to learn so the maybe the one thing i would say is don't start like up there go down and learn iteration is like you know that it's it's. i didn't invented the the thing that the the the, the best currency you want to have is is learning um like every dollar you spend in an early stage company What you want to get in return is unique knowledge and not necessarily, I don't know, revenue or, you know, today it's maybe it's a bit different, but I think it's, uh, it will always be the case. Um, because unique knowledge is the most valuable thing in the world and it's really hard to create. So just ask important questions that the answer can be meaningful. And just use every time and dollar you have to answer that question. Because if you can answer that question well, then you have the opportunity to build something really big and sell to the biggest platforms.
1: So, so Bar, you have mentioned some, some amazing lessons so far uh, of things that have been successes. Tell me about one mistake that you made uh, building balance or even QAI, uh, whatever you want. But just mistake that, that you learn from and, and helped you improve, I guess, the trajectory and change the trajectory of the company.
0: I think the hardest thing that I experienced uh, is finding the balance between staying in the weeds and being, um, you know, lead by example, doing the things yourself, doing the sales, thinking about the marketing, doing everything yourself and doing the zoom out and finding the, and and it's true for yourself, but it's even more true for the people you hire. Like when you should hire like bets, there's a, there's a a famous uh, blog on it. When do you hire bets, like smart people, scrappy, no experience, hungry, want to get into it and win? And when do you hire the guys, the ones that are, you know, seeing around the corners, knowing what they know, um, but less of a scrappy mindset, more like, I know what we need to do. And this is... This is a very big challenge that I'm still facing, still asking those questions every day. And, you know, the problem is that the answer is there's no thumb holes for this thing. You need to be very true with yourself. Maybe the lesson is that um, there's a lot of urgency to create movement, and it's very important to create movement when you're an early stage company. but. You have to think two steps forward. You have, you, you have to, you, you have to answer and be real and people at the right time. Otherwise you're dead. And the, and the thing that will keep you alive is just, you know, doing the right thing, not the short term thing. And it's confusing because you want to show like this step forward. You want to show the growth. You want to show the hockey stick. And sometimes you need to slow down to really win. And it's just, it's hard to remind yourself that I think this is a good lesson for investors uh, because it's hard. We're all emotional people. We are here to win. Um, but Sometimes there's the right thing and there's the thing that looks good. And we, we know it internally. We know it. Like we know the truth. It's just really hard to get it out and be vulnerable. So you know what? A long answer to a very simple question. Maybe my... The most like sharp answer is be vulnerable, be vulnerable with yourself, be vulnerable with investors and speak the truth because this is what you're getting paid for more than uh more than showing growth is to know the truth that you already know uh-huh. help investors help you maybe
1: hmm. so so bar before I let you go and and I think you've kind of. Answered this in, in all the the questions, but for uh, so 2023, you know, no one knows what 2023 is gonna bring us. But certainly, the environment is different for founders tuning in. Those that are getting started, you know, what what would you advise them? What would you what would your like some of your thoughts for them be? You know, for, especially for those that are early on. Trying to raise maybe their first round or considering maybe bootstrapping like you did with QA. I
0: think that uh, the thing that I'm seeing the most with the early stage founders is um, very focusing on the product and not on the go to market. And it's not easy to, to think about go to market at the beginning if you don't have the mindset of a go to market person. But I would encourage everyone to connect the dots all the way through. When are your customers? How are you getting them? Does um, that make sense? Does your approach to market at the end makes economic sense um, with the type of value and the type of revenue you think you can make? Assumptions are great, but it needs to be like when you're an early stage founder and you meet an investor, the thing to show more than anything else is that you have common sense. And you're thinking about all the things. Not that you know the answer, no one thinks you know the answers, but that you're a good partner for the journey. Like that, we can count on you to think about the right things um, and think about all the things, and not like be narrow-minded, uh, because this is your job as a CEO or a C-level at the company to to see the whole picture and think and thinking unit economics.
1: Wise words. All right, Bar. Thank you for stopping by. Great, great interview. Uh, it's is, uh, is good to to learn a little bit of the inside story of of Balance's journey that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure is just getting started. So thanks again for taking the time.
0: Thank you so much. It was really fun.
1: Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Bargeron, founder of Balance. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. It helps and truly means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armas.